I've been knowing Randy Bolting House for tw more than 20 years. We have been meeting together regularly for that long, and boy, I have really grown to love that guy. Um, I'll tell you, we know each other's story, and that's part, part of the reason I'm here is because he asked me to tell you part of my story today. And I love that guy because he can make me laugh out loud. He can make me... I'm, when I'm discouraged, I think of a couple stories he's told me, and I always bring a laugh to my face. So Randy said, well, I'd like you just to talk about prayer and relation to your own story. And I said, well, let me think about that. And finally I told him yes. I work with pastors all throughout the region. And I really love pastors. I think they're very human, most of them. I've discovered that after meeting with about 500 of them. They put their pants on like most other people, one leg at a time. You know that, though, don't you? Um, when I've earned the right to be heard by pastors, and you don't always get the right to be heard by everybody, right? It's nice to earn the right to be heard, you know, by your spouse if you're married. And, but, you know, trust takes a long time to build, doesn't it? Because to really trust someone and to tell your story, you've got to be vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, there's always a chance that you might get rejected. And so you play your cards, you're tempted to play your cards pretty close to the vest, right? Keep your arms crossed. You don't want anybody in there. And I get that working with pastors. It's, um, it's kind of scary being vulnerable. But when I, you know, if I can ever get to that place where I really uh, get to know someone, like most humans, I, I realize their brokenness goes back to their earliest days. Shame researcher Brene Brown, who I like, says every single person has a story that will break your heart. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Every person has a story that will break your heart. And, you know, I just watch the news, and everybody's got a story. It just makes you sad, doesn't it? I want to talk to you about prayer today, but boy, how do you pray? Hard to pray, isn't it? Kind of feel resignation sometimes, don't you? Kind of like, whatever you think, God. <laughs> so, we hang in there, though. Wondering, does my prayer even work? What do we want to hear God say to us? Well, I want to tell you, I want to talk about prayer this morning in, in light of my story, because Randy asked me if I'd think about doing that, and I finally told him yes. So, here's my plan. I'm going to give you my definition of prayer and my beliefs, kind of for the groundwork of prayer, just very briefly. Uh, I'll move on to give you some examples of how people tell me they pray, because I've been thinking about this, and I've been asking people, how do you pray? What's it like for you? <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a little about my own story and how prayer factors in. I'm going to tell a little about my own personal story, so my older sister's here, and she factors in, so she's visiting today, so I'm not particularly nervous in front of you all, but I'm quite nervous in front of her, <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't very nervous until my older sister arrived, <clears throat> and uh, I did do the breakfast dishes before I left this morning. <laughs> So don't worry about that, sister. Then, I'm kidding. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to keep praying and whatever the circumstances, to never give up. And that's how I'm going to try to land it. So, sound reasonable? And by the way, I know very well that every word this morning comes from the preschool of prayer from which I have not yet graduated. So you can just relax. And you can pray for this preschool prayer student while he speaks. Well, in simplest terms, 
Prayer is talking with God about what God and I are thinking and doing together. That's Dallas Willard's definition of prayer. I like it. Willard was a longtime professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, a prolific writer, theologian, and his definition gets it for me. Talking with God about what God and I are thinking and doing together. So out of that definition, for me, come six core beliefs that uh, sort of define and drive my prayers. God exists first. So I think he's real. And I can keep company, you can keep company with the all-knowing, all-powerful creator and sustainer of all things. God is a personal being. And personal beings de desire relationship. So one of my friends, Pastor John Pipo from Michigan, says regarding God being a personal being, everlastingly, the Father has been loving the Son, the Son has been loving the Spirit, and the Spirit has been loving the Father. Round and round they go in the big dance. So when I pray, when you pray, we accept the invitation to a personal relationship into the big cosmic dance. God is more than personal. God made us. He made me. He made you. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He knit you together in your mother's womb. For what? Well, for relationship with himself. So today, God and I have a fearful, wonderful, personal relationship. He is the potter. I'm the clay. God knows me. He knows you. When you pray, God's Spirit searches you out. Psalm 139, that great poem. God knows when I sit and when I rise. He knows us better than we know ourselves. God loves us. That's because God is love. And when I think of both knowing and loving God, I start singing Amazing Grace. God wants us to know and love Him in return. So when we pray, when I pray, I enter a loving, knowing relationship with God. And so when you pray, it's hard to think about two dialogues ever being the same, right? But in the background of my soul, when I pray, I have relationship in mind. Listening. Understanding. Being understood. And love. So I've asked people about prayer. How do you pray? Well, a lot of people say, I pray the Lord's Prayer. Church Father Martin Luther said every Christ follower should pray the Lord's Prayer every morning before their feet hit the floor. I kind of like that. It's pretty good. It makes sense to me to touch, 
to, to couch our prayers under the umbrella of the, of the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. I like to pray, I like to combine Matthew and Luke's versions. And I like to pray it like this. Our Father in heaven, blessed be your name, your kingdom come. I like to say blessed be your name. I know, I know you usually pray it, hallowed be thy name. Maybe you even say thy. I like to say blessed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, in, as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's just more personal to me. I know some of you may like trespasses and debts and debtors. But I like, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I like to pray that versus deliver us from evil. Either way, I don't like it. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. So a woman told me, I pray that about 30 times a day. And I said, keep doing that. I know folks who pray the Psalms. A friend of mine prays the Psalms and says, I rewrite the Psalms sometimes when I'm praying them. Just kind of put them in my own words. Keep doing that, I said. I like that. C.S. Lewis, his final two books, Reflections on the Psalms and Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayers, were about the Psalms. I have another friend who says, I like to pray the words of Jesus. He said, I like to read the parables about prayer. I just like to read all those words. He said, sometimes I like to read out loud John 17. Do you know that? That's the longest prayer Jesus prays. This recorded. And I just said to him, keep doing that. I like that. There's a Bible study I know of. They are studying the prayers of Paul. And one guy said, I really like those prayers. Boy, some, some of his benedictions are great. I've been praying those. And I said to him, yes, keep doing that. Good idea. I know a, a, a fellow who at 5.30 in the morning likes to go out on his back porch and just be silent for 30 minutes. He said, no words. He said, I kind of just go into neutral. I just put my hands up and I just inhale and exhale and I ask God's presence to wash over me as the day begins. I said, I like that. Keep doing that. My mother uh, has read devotional books all her life. She has these bevy of devotional books. And she told me, she said, I like these books and I like these prayers. It's a good way for me to keep praying for you kids. Well, you can imagine what I said to that. I'm one of the kids. I said, keep doing that. One of my friends, the pastor, says he likes to read the scriptures sort of systematically first thing in the morning and then write in his journal after that, whatever God tells him from the Scriptures, whatever he feels like the Spirit says. He says, I've been doing that. I have 3,000 pages of notes from what I think I've heard from God. And I said to him, I think you should keep doing that. I like that. And then one guy told me, I think my best prayers are when I'm sleeping. Yeah. So, if you're two in the morning, you're really having a good quiet time, aren't you? <laughs> He said, um, 
I think Jesus prays for, me, for us. Romans 8.34, he said, God is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Um, and he said, sometimes you go out and look at the corn in the morning or your, your, your crops, and you say, man, they did well overnight. Man, they did well overnight. They had a good night. And he said, that's how I pray. I said, I, when, I, when my family and I are praying, I just, I just ask God to keep praying for us. And I said to him, keep doing that. Well, you've got me figured out, don't you? However you're praying, keep doing that. Don't give up. Try new things. Start over. Get a prayer journal. Start a journal. You know, whatever it takes. We're all preschoolers, right? Well, actually, I'm no longer a preschooler. God and I are really... I think, I'm, in, I think I'm, in, I'm doing my postdoctoral work in prayer. <laughs> that works for you. Keep, keep doing it. Paul pray, says to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Keep alert, he says in Ephesians 6. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So, pray with words. Pray without words. Pray with groans too deep for words. Just stay at it. That's my challenge. Now, in my prayer life, I, I think uh, prayer, let's say fervent prayer, uh, perhaps first occurred by my mom and dad when I had the flu at age nine and almost died. Maybe it was my older sister's prayer that kept me going. But we were in a little community out by the Kansas-Colorado border, and I got the flu, and our Dr. John said to my 29-year-old mom, let's see if he makes it through the night. And my mom told me that I was at your side all night long praying, God, spare my son's life. And I was better in the morning. I made it. Please spare my son's life. And you know that prayer, don't you? Help! <laughs> right? You're at the end of your rope. You, I'm giving you a one-word prayer. Help. Well, that wasn't my mom and dad's only prayer. I remember my baptism on Easter Sunday with my younger brother Bob. Remember that, Darley? I don't know if you remember. See, I'm now my older sister's here. I'm getting personal. Um, that, my dad prayed the benediction that Sunday, and he said... Thank you, risen Lord. There's a prayer for you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You have a good day and you're driving down the road and what do you say? Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's rain. I thought, the, I thought the air conditioner kicked on. Yeah. <laughs> I think the big, the, the big air conditioner in the sky just kicked in. Well, a year or so later, I sensed, after my baptism, I sensed the call of God waft across the, the high plains into a dusty church camp saying, serve me, son. And I said, yes. One of the kids from my youth group came up to me that night, put his arm around me, and said... Wow. 
Indeed, the inexplicable nudge of God. Wow! You know that prayer, don't you? You prayed that. I prayed that going across the North Pole on the way to China. Been there a few times. The first time I looked out, here you are six miles above the sky, and you look out, and it's never dark up there. And you know, I, I said one prayer. You know it, don't you? Wow. Help. Thank you. Wow. Three great prayers. But anyone who has lived longer than five seconds knows that life comes right at you, doesn't it? So two life-altering events weave themselves into my preschool tapestry of prayer. Though dramatically different in scope and magnitude and decades apart, prayer factors in each one very profoundly. The first is a teenage marriage and divorce at age 19. Yeah, I know, the same boy who was called into the ministry. Yep. And the second is the death of my son Ian a few years ago young adult son, Ian. Well, the first incident, um, what should we call it? Dawn falls for a girl. And oh, the way of a man, man with a maiden, right? Um, who understands that? <laughs> this was high-level puppy love, and the puppy fell. And we, the girl and I married a year and a half later, and oh my goodness. Good athlete, born again, on the debate team. Oh, my goodness. Let me know how that works for you, Don. It didn't. And, you know, she came from a really prominent family in the county and really one of the most, uh, a, a Christian family. And her dad liked me. I was a nice kid, born again, good at sports, debate team, a Christian. And we headed off to Kansas State University, newly hitched, with one word on our backs. Clueless. Yeah, as my grandfather said to me, oh my, the fence is still wet where your diapers are hanging. Boy, that's right. Well... Her father invited me that first semester to come back and learn his big farm ranching operation. I said no. And the marriage lasted nine months, and she moved. She packed up and moved home. And I stayed in Manhattan, Kansas, and hired on to feed pigs. Well, no, not really. I, I hired on to work and clean muggy, hot dorm rooms. Yuck. And my father, on the phone, no cell phones back then, just said, work it out. So from a tiny room I rented that summer, I cleaned the rooms. I decided I was Christian. I just wrote letters and I said, look, I'm immature. I wrote her letters. I'm immature. Uh, please forgive me. Give me another chance. I'll, I'll do ministry some other way. Just, just give me another chance. And I included my address, my return address, no text messaging, longhand, 30-some letters, and none was returned. So, in July, I, late July, 
I borrowed my brother's car. I drove 300 miles unannounced to her father's 3,500-acre farm, and there he was, fueling his tractor in his farmyard. And he was the tribal chief. I mean, he was the main guy. And I knew that. I had to go through him. And I just said, look, I drove out here unannounced. I'm, I'm asking, pleading for one more chance. And he said, no, it's over. And we argued. And I said, come on, man, give me a chance. It's, you know, all you can imagine. And finally he said, I have one thing to say to you. Get in your car and get off my land or I'm going to call the sheriff. And we never spoke again. I did. And a month later, this boy who was called into the ministry at the dusty church camp walked onto this Christian college campus uh, and friends with my older sister, my one friend in life, and feeling shame, terrible shame. Um, but uh, she loved me, and I'm grateful for that. Still, I'm grateful. One day, she introduced me to some nice students in the cafeteria, and they wanted me to tell them what my story. And there was this 25-year-old guy, kind of the campus know-it-all, the theologian. He told me that he was not trying to be mean, but a person who had been divorced could never be a pastor, he said. And he said, being here is probably not a good fit for you if being a pastor is your intention. Oh, oh great, I thought. I, I didn't know the Bible, I admit that. But I said, are you kidding? And he said, uh, no. So I got a little angry, and I pressed him. I said, hey, listen, I have a question for you. What if I had just lived with that girl for nine months and then surrendered my life to Jesus and then came here to study the Bible? Oh, he said, now that would be different. I was really baffled. It is baffling, isn't it? Now, in fairness, you had to understand the context here. It was the 1970s, and the country was emerging from the crazy 1960s. What are we emerging from now? We're trying to emerge from yesterday now, aren't we? Man, you don't know what's going to happen today. It's crazy. Well, it was crazy then, too. Countries always needed Jesus, by the way. But country was emerging from crazy free love, and the church was struggling with divorce and remarriage in a way that many evangelical churches maybe aren't as much now. And so things were churning, and I have nothing against this know-it-all. I hope his life has gone well. He was a very bright guy. But it was out of that milieu that I, was, I began to pray and really seek the Lord. And I decided to stay at that school. I think maybe because my, my uh, older sister said, I love you. You know, love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Love will get you down the road. It's true. I mean, love is stronger than death. So I stayed, and I threw myself into Bible study, and I decided to hide, though. And I hid by not, by not cutting my hair for 15 months or my beard. Oh, boy. Of course, you know, we were sights to behold, and I was really a sight to behold. And my grandmother called me Moses. And yeah, so I kind of liked that. And I, I got to know this kid from Kansas, from Kansas State. He, we memorized scripture together, and 
I was trying to, I was fighting to regain my dignity and feeling God had a plan for me and wondering if he really did. And so to my prayers of help and thank you and wow, I added this prayer. I bet it's one of yours. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not a good man, God, but I want to serve you. And my sorry be became, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And as God began to peel away the layers of my heart, I met this lovely girl from Phoenix, Arizona. Ooh, God, luck, providence, I'll take it. Who looked at me and said one day, I feel no shame for you, I love you. Ooh, that'll preach. So we moved here. I became a recipient of her grace and mercy, and we moved here. And 22 years I served as a campus pastor at the University of Illinois. Had a great run. This really became our home. And then for six years, I worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for a while and helped them with their big missions conference called Urbana. Some of you may have heard of that. It's still called Urbana, now in St. Louis. Um, I worked for six years in pastoral care for the big vineyard church in town, and now I lead Pastor to Pastor Initiatives and work with 60 or 70 pastors around the area. And sometimes, since I'm talking about prayer, I can tell you, sometimes we even pray together. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Pretty cool. So one guy told me pastors pray together. There's hope. In fact, Pastor to Pastor was born out of the ashes of a second life-altering event, losing my young adult son, Ian. He lost his battle with drugs. You know, right in the city we call home, uh, right, where, right, right here from where my prayers have been prayed. And, wow. You know, I was a PTA president and swim club parent leader and pastoral leader Champaign-Urbana, religion column writer for the newspaper, and I was confronted with huge challenges, huge. And, you know, he was a sweet boy, smart and funny and empathetic. And, you know, I'm thinking, how did this happen? God, we are, I'm, a, I'm a praying man. I'm trying to be a praying man. I mean, one day, maybe I'll get to ask speak at one of the big churches in Champaign-Urbana and talk about prayer, Windsor Road Christian Church. God, what happened? I, I just, sadly, the, the switch really got turned on early for him, and he, was, he be, very quickly became a, a, a confused, sick young man. There's just a lot of sadness when I look back on that. I remember praying one day, God, this is your son. Many days. You created him in his mama's womb. Satan, you can't have him. Jesus, he's covered by your blood, face down on my carpet in my office. Well, he knew Jesus, and I'm really thankful for that. You know, we, got, we got to be part of his baptism, and some, some U of I uh, students reached out to him. One engineering student really liked him, and yeah, he started studying art. He's a really talented kid, and he started getting some traction. And we were grateful. You know, you, you got you to have hope, right? 
If you lose your hope in life, you're in trouble. You know that. So, God, even as we raise our families and as we go into this election and all that, we got to keep our hope, right? Well, we have a risen Savior, and that's our hope. But, <laughs> you know, one night, 145, doorbell rings, and it's the coroner and the sheriff, and, you know, it was Ian. And, you know, suddenly Jennifer and I got thrust into the club no one ever wants to belong to. You know, the club of someone who's lost a child. And... I mean, everybody just got robbed in the snap of a finger. And, well, then how did you pray, Pastor? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. I guess I didn't for a long time. You know, you're, you're kind of in numb. You're, you're in the land of numb for a long time, and then you're, you're in the land of anger. At least I was, and I'll tell you about that. And you're thinking, well, I, can't, I just can't imagine losing a child. Well, you can imagine it if you try, but who wants to go there, right? It's scary, and I mean, sometimes life just stinks. It stinks. We do serve a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, but make no mistake, we do it behind enemy lines. When Jesus said to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, he knew. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. Boy, we have a terrible enemy, don't we? Just a terrible enemy. And what's the good book say? Resist, resist the devil. Resist. Stay in there. One day I was looking through my journals. I don't read through my journals. I write in a journal. Not 3,000 pages like my friend. I wish I had. And I found one when he had died, and I wrote, A son is not his father's only investment, but there is none like it. When it fails, there's no sorrow like this sorrow. I don't know. I finally did start praying. Angry prayers. I still can pray them. I found myself praying the imprecatory psalms. Ever heard of the imprecatory psalms? psalms? Google that. Imprecatory psalms. And, and imprecatory psalms, Psalm 109. How about we start with that one? I did. When my enemy is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. You ever pray that one? May his children be wandering beggars. Woo! You get that prayer, don't you? May, may, may my enemy's kids' fingers fall off on Christmas morning. Do it, God. Gloves off. I got there. Gloves off. Yelling, weeping, calling down curses on every drug dealer who's ever lived. I was there, and me grieving and yelling in anger at God, I still can yell it. I don't think I've yelled it today, but I will now. God, what in the Sam Hill is going on down here anyway? You know that prayer? What in the Sam Hill is going on? Aren't I one of your favorites? You remember me, don't you, God? Well, one day Jennifer and I were talking about what happened, and you know what we did? We settled on John 6. To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. 
And we're still there. Jesus is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He is. You haven't, has, has, doesn't the news some days just render you hope, helpless? Last two weeks, man, I pray, Lord, I believe in you. I think I do. Help my unbelief. I'm full of doubts. I feel, I listened to the news coming over here this morning. You know what I felt? I felt a painful emotion. I wonder if you've ever felt it. Resignation. Oh, well. Good luck with this world, God. You'll need it. You know, I try to quiet my heart and remember that I love Jesus. I trust him. He loves me. He intercedes for me while I'm sleeping, I hope. I'll take that. He calls me his son. But it isn't easy, is it? It's not easy, is it? So, I, yeah, I mean, if you, if you think your servant here is broken this morning, you got that right. But let me be clear. I am a redeemed broken man. <laughs> redeemed broken man. A glorious ruin. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll take that one. Says the popular Hillsong band. Let the ruins come to life in the beauty of your name. Rising up from the ashes, God forever you reign. Well, because, men and women, we are all under the curse, we pray every prayer in the shadow of the cross. I glory only in the cross, the apostle Paul says. I mean, that's why I long. I long. This man longs for another man, Jesus Christ, to save and change me into his likeness. So, fellow prayers... We are pardoned of our sin, declared righteous in God's sight, but only because of Jesus' deep love for us. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. This we know. So I don't know what to say except stay at your post. Praying all kinds of prayers until your final breath when the Lord calls you home. Your final breath. I'm thinking of a final breath of the thief on the cross, and I'll end our discussion here. You know there were two criminals, one on each side of Jesus. The first man in the account speaks indignantly. Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Don't imagine him. Imagine the second one. The other criminal turned and rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we're getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then glancing at Jesus, he said, I like to imagine he prayed, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today, said Jesus, you will be with me in paradise. Now friends, there, right there, is a shocking reminder that grace does not depend one speck on what you have done for God. 
but rather on what God has done for you. Here is a man who is forgiven, who never studied the Bible, never went to church, never made amends for those he had wronged, probably never made a, prayed a single prayer in his whole life until now. And don't I just love his ask? Somehow knowing there must be a future in the dark moments of his impending death, he says to Jesus, remember me. Wow. Don't let me slip from your mind falling into oblivion. Don't forget me. And Jesus answers him, today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Well, in, in, the, in your daily declaration of war with your old sinful nature, in the irreconcilable war that will last until heaven, please add this to your other prayers. Remember me, Lord. Because one day soon, the whole of history will be consummated. And we will hear, well done. Right along there with the thief on the cross. So, press in. Hold on. Stand firm. And keep praying. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, remember me. Remember me.